Welcome to a special edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. Hello, everybody. I'm the host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me, and I have a special show for you. This is a tribute to Paul Penwell. Those of you who don't know who Paul Penwell was, he was a huge part of the acoustic music scene in the greater Frederick, Maryland area from about 2010 until 2014, when he unfortunately passed away from cancer on September 12th in 2014. He was a wonderful man. Let me read you a little bit about what I wrote about him in the Fame Acoustic Newsletter, Fame Acoustic Music Enterprise Newsletter, The Soundpost, several years ago. I first met Paul Penwell at the Brewer's Alley Songwriter Showcase. I had noticed a fellow who sat alone, who seemed to be soaking in the music. One day, I approached him to thank him for supporting original acoustic music. We struck up a conversation, and he asked me if I'd look at his guitar and give him my honest opinion of it. From then on, he was full of questions, all related to guitars, picks, capos, guitar strings, and performing in general. Paul could latch on to a subject tighter than anyone I had ever met. He always had a series of serious questions, like a professor quizzing a student on his or her thesis. After giving him an answer, he would pause as if allowing the information to sink in, then come right back, seeking more info, never seeming quite satisfied. Paul Penwell. Quite the character. Most of us knew him through music, through the Frederick Coffee Company open mic and the open mic at Jekyll and Hyde. Both, unfortunately, open mics are now defunct. But someone who knew him really well personally, at least from the mid-1990s, was his good friend Jim Kuhn. And this is what Jim had to say. Now, how did you first meet Paul? Paul only had one um, close relative. He had a brother, um, a younger brother named Todd. And I was friends with Todd. So... And I didn't know Paul at that time. This was in the mid-90s. So occasionally I would go to... Uh, Todd lived at the house with his brother, and I'd go there to see Todd, and, and Paul would be there. And and that's when I first met Paul. He he, he didn't really um, have much to say, you know. But it wasn't until Paul's younger brother, Todd, died of a drug overdose... And that's when I really got close to Paul. Now, was he musical at that point in time of his life? Oh, he was. Um, although he really hadn't started um, playing much, but he, he had a collection of guitars, and he really wanted to start playing again. And I guess that's when he got introduced to fame that he really kicked into high gear, but I know he would occasionally he would have us Jeannie and I, my wife would go by the house and he would get the guitar out and he would he'd say you want to hear a song and I just uh, sometimes he would write a song and he'd say you want to hear a song we'd say sure and he would get the guitar out and he'd play and sing for us and you know he Got to know Paul really well over over the years after his brother died. Paul was a very interesting person, although he he was he was kind of personal. He even though we Jeannie and I really became good friends with him, he 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 didn't uh, 
care to share too much on his personal personal life. But, um, he really didn't open up to it. He got into fame, and I tell you that that was wonderful for Paul. He he got to you know get out a little bit and socialize and play, and he I could see a. A big change in Paul when he did that. He he was really happy happier person. Jim Kuhn called me a couple of months after Paul had passed away, and he said, "Todd, could you come up? We have all of Paul's music equipment, and we really don't know what to do with it. So could you come up and tell us? You know, should we sell it? Should we give it away?" And I said, "Well, sure, I'll come up." And he had PA speakers and amplifiers and things like that. And I told him who to talk to. And then there was this box and it just had miscellaneous stuff. And I said, well, what are you going to do with that? And he goes, well, is it worth anything? And I said, well, not really. I said, a guitarist could use some of those things. It was capos, some extra sets of strings, picks, things like that. And I said, well, I'll take it for, you know, if you're just going to throw it away. I'll, so I think I paid him 50 bucks or something for it. And I got home and I took out the things that I could use. And the box just stayed in the basement of my house for many years. Not too long ago, I was looking for something else. I came across that box and I reached in and I found a cassette tape, which I must have seen at some point, but I don't remember seeing it the first time. And, uh, you know, we don't see cassette tapes much anymore. And I looked at it and it on the top was written Penwell Demo and then in parentheses, mid 80s, and it listed four songs. Well, the quality of the recording was very quite poor. It was only on one channel. So I took it to my good friend Doug Smith at Shabro Recording Studio, and we enhanced it, put it in both ears. And this is the first song off of that Penwell demo. Let me back up just a second. Paul played acoustic guitar, at least during the time we all knew him. Evidently, in the mid-'80s, he played electric. So you're going to hear the four songs from his demo played on electric guitar with bass and a little bit of percussion and things like that. Not indicative of what he was like from 2000 to 2014, but it gives a nice look at who he was in the mid-80s. This is Glenmont Line. Lovers part with cold remarks And only memories of how good it was Look at me, I never thought that I would feel this way on this day at Glenmont Station. The train is here, the hidden tears. You go to him, I turn to face the years. Look at me, I never thought that I would reflect this way. Thank you. 
Glenmont Line by Paul Penwell. I don't know if Paul played all the instruments or if he had friends who helped him record that. I, there's no notes on the, the cassette. I would love to have been able to speak with him about it and find out a little bit more information. Unfortunately, there is none. Well, one gentleman who knew Paul quite well is a very good friend of mine, Tommy 1M Wright. Tommy 1M Wright was doing the hosting duties at the Frederick Coffee Company open mic, and I joined him so that he could have, we switched weeks so that we didn't, one of us didn't have to do it all the time. And we were both doing the open mic hosting when Paul showed up one night. And this is what Tommy had to say. I believe the first time I met Paul was when I was hosting uh, at the Frederick Coffee Company, and that was mm, probably met him 2011 or 12. And he quickly became a, a fixture uh, in our community of songwriters and uh, performers. I think we really connected when he came to play the open mic. You know, at that time I was um, having percussion for uh, performers who'd like to play. And uh, Paul was uh, in, in an older group of folks. And so there are songs that he was playing. I recalled from my youth. And so I joined right in and it was, it was refreshing for me to hear, hear him play these songs and, and he was very, uh, very true to true to the the songs, and uh, we were actually going to play um, at some point, uh, but that there was some conflict. But I was going to accompany him on percussion. Now, was there anything um, intriguing or interesting about the way he performed initially that might have caught your eye as to, oh, this guy's different than the normal open mic performer? Not necessarily how he performed, but just how he carried himself. Um, he came, he, he was known as Xavier World, which uh, immediately I kind of thought might have might have been some sort of pseudonym or stage name. Uh, and he was, uh, I, I couldn't distinguish <laughs> his stage persona being different from his uh, how he really was so I never really got to know him you know up up close and personal although you know when we played it was always enjoyable uh, he was just different um, and uh, but he had a command of of the stage and uh, in, in talking to to some others uh, apparently he he really wanted to go off and join the circus uh, and and be a performing uh, musician, but I think, um, you know, parental guidance and probably the source of his funding for, for college uh, said, no, <laughs> you're going to go to school. Um, but he, yeah, he was, he was sort of quirky, um, you know, in, in performing, but that was sort of added to the mystique or maybe the charm of uh, who Paul was uh, in our circle. We were all trying to be our own people, our own people performing but he uh yeah he was definitely uh, unique in his own his own person another person who knew him very well fran tucker another local regional singer performer 
Also, an alumni from the Frederick Coffee Company and Jekyll and Hyde open mic series and a performer who still performs and sings today when she can. As we all know, the pandemic has really put a squash on a lot of performing. But here is what Fran had to say. I met Paul at, I'm pretty sure, at the coffee house at the Frederick Coffee Company at the open mic. And... He had performed, and I went up to talk to him afterwards to tell him how much I enjoyed his performance, and we ended up getting to be friends, and uh, most of our activities centered around the open mics and then later a few gigs together. So, Now, was he performing just as Paul Penwell at that point, or had he brought his alias in? I'm trying to remember... I think he already was Xavier World. <laughs> you know, did he ever tell you how he came up with that name? No. <laughs> if he did, I've forgotten. I just, I, I get a kick out of it. But I don't remember. A uh, musician, but he was also an entertainer. Uh, that's what I think made him really special, is that it was very important to him that people enjoy his little pieces. And so... You know, with everyone, he would do some history of the song, a little bit of background, and then sometimes he would perform as the savior. And um, it just made it so much more entertaining. It was a lot of fun. Now, how did you and he get around to deciding to become a duo? Because you did perform as a duo for a while. We did. That was um, just sort of organic. I normally split my gigs with somebody. I prefer to do that. And um, these days it's a necessity because my hand won't do two or three hours. So um, whenever I book something, I usually invite somebody to join me. And um, the first time I asked him, I didn't realize that it was his first time performing someplace other than the Outback Shack at his house. Because he had been at so many open mics. I thought, oh, he's a performer. He's been around a long time. He plays so well. He's so much better than I am. You know, I'm sure this will be no stress for him. So I invited him to join me, not realizing it was literally his first gig. Now, was he a nervous performer when you when you performed that time? Or was he kind of like a taskmaster, full of energy and, and bravado, and I know what we're going to do? Or What was the, the vibe? He was very hard on himself and he practiced long and hard because he wanted to get it as perfect as he could get it with other people. He was very forgiving. So um, it was very enjoyable. We ended up splitting our sets, but we always overlapped and did a few songs together and he was wonderful to work with. Did he ever confide in you how he went about choosing the songs he was going to perform? I don't know if there was a particular method other than songs that he had always liked that most people didn't do. Mm -hmm. It would be yeah. so wonderful to be able to see and hear him again. I know. I know. And um, I miss him a lot, too. He was a great guy besides being a very talented musician. Um, and I considered him a good friend. So I'm, I'm very sorry for what happened to him. But what are you going to do? You can't predict the future. Um, but it was, it seemed such a shame to me because he had worked hard. He had retired early and this was his time for him to enjoy himself and it was cut very short. So 
very sorry about that. But at least we had him for a while, and he was indeed uh, an original. I marveled at Paul's knowledge of the stories around the songs that he sang and how he introduced each song with a story a la Casey Kasem, thus his moniker of the Casey Kasem of Frederick County. What he said between songs was as entertaining as the songs he sang, and the songs he chose to perform were a wonderful selection of almost forgotten hits, each rehearsed to perfection. And here is the second cut off his demo from the mid-1980s. Its title is Catherine Now and Then. Doesn't really matter where you are. 
Catherine, now and then, has a little bit of an early Beatles-esque sound in there. Paul was a student of music and songs, so it makes sense that he would have something that might lend itself to a kind of a Beatles song. Robert Pereira, a wonderful performer, was a good friend of Paul's. I remember at the Frederick Coffee Company, one Sunday, I think it was a Sunday afternoon, Robert had the Robert Pereira show or something, and the show was finished and everyone was sitting around a table and I had just received my first iPhone and I wanted to try doing a video with it. And Robert would play a song and Paul would kind of strum the guitar behind him and then Paul would play a song and Robert would kind of play along with him. And I just remember one song where whether there was a flub or they just enjoyed themselves so much they were both laughing hilariously and so i asked robert if he could share his memory of paul penwell don't know how you want me to begin but yeah we met at the coffee shop and it was a good time um at the coffee shop a lot of talent a lot of variety uh, a lot of interesting people and he was certainly one of them i um uh, i think the thing that intrigued me most about his performing was the uniqueness of the songs that he chose and it was very eclectic if that's the right word it went from all ranges um of songs that he chose to embrace and and perform and the one of six to my mind right now is uh, heartbreaker by grand funk railroad he did it as an acoustic piece and uh, I know I and uh, Mike Scherf had a chance to sing harmonies with him um, on that song. And it was just, just good memories, you know. And one of the things that he I could look forward to was, what's he going to play next, you know? What's he going to choose, you know? And uh, he was very dedicated to play his best, and he invested a lot of time into arrangements and um after you know he and i both work for ups uh he retired but i i still am and he took time to invest in what he enjoyed and he built that stage in his on his property in a back building and uh, i mean he was that dedicated to to playing music and uh, he enjoyed it he was doing what he enjoyed touched by the fact that he how do, how do I say it? he was into it he really you know invented in a, an alter ego and um, he he just uh, I don't know um, uh, most of us musicians have quirkiness and a little bit of crazy and whatever and I think I'm drawn to that um, I know I've fallen into it but it's his uniqueness of uh, style and choice um, made it very interesting to watch him perform. You know, he's a very likable guy too as well. You know, uh, gregarious, but yeah, he was kooky. I think I liked that part of him. 
Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I certainly said at his loss, I think he, he retired and started doing what he liked to do. And it was cut short, but he left, I know, impressions on a lot of people. And uh, I'm pretty sure they were all good. You know? And we miss him. Paul Penwell from his cassette tape of demo songs is The Days of Our Lives. just had no flair That Gorbachev and Reagan pair And Glasnost in the air In these days of our lives Jimmy Swaggart's face is Charles and Lady Di are wed But they get around it said In these days of our lives Now these, these are the days
Days of Our Lives, a time capsule song from the mid-1980s, or the 1980s in general, I guess is the best way to put it. A gentleman by the name of Rick Hill moved to the Frederick, Maryland area from upstate New York in the late 2000s, and he brought with him three two-foot blizzards of snow. We used to kid him about that. He's a wonderful acoustic performer, more along the lines of on a folk and he loves getting people singing with him. We, I used to call him the Pete Seeger of Frederick County and he now lives in Monterey, Virginia. But Rick was the founder, the brainchild of fame, Frederick Acoustic Music Enterprise. And right about the time that he got us all together to start that organization is when Paul entered our lives. So I thought it only fitting that Rick join the party and talk about, uh, Paul Penwell, and here's what he said. What was your first impression of him, if you can recall? 
Well, I thought I thought that he was a very interesting guy. Um, I I had no idea of who he was or what he did for a living or any of that. Uh, he was thrown in kind of with all the rest of us, uh, uh, being uh, you know a person who just really enjoyed playing music and uh, and he was he was a respectable player and a respectable singer and uh, and he always had interesting songs uh, uh you know he did uh, sort of strange acoustic takes on um rock and roll songs um as i recall there was some zz top stuff and i don't know there were some some other pieces that that he would do as well and i always found that fascinating um uh, me i stuck pretty much to you know what was being played acoustically i played acoustically um but paul would always wander off into these other situations well, he did have a, I, I used to refer to him as the Casey Kasem of Frederick County, because he seemed to be able to, now whether he researched it or not, come up with information about either the song or the writer or the performer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was very knowledgeable about the the music, about music in general. You could talk to him about almost anything, and and he seemed to have a great deal of information about that. I think that, uh, you know, for some people, I think the background of the music is is part of the fascination of the song, uh, and I I always found that to be very interesting. I I'm also am very interested in the background of things, uh, but Paul Paul really seemed to know a lot about all of that stuff. Uh, um, one of the things that always amazed me, and I, I was trying to think of the name of his alter ego. Do you remember? Xavier World. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and he would slip into this, you know, put his sunglasses on and slip into this alter ego person and just do something that was completely off the wall. And to me, I, you know, that showed a tremendous amount of imagination uh, that he had. I, I always considered Paul to be... Uh, a visionary. Uh, he may not have been a visionary for, you know, some great big world changing kind of thing, but he was certainly a visionary uh, within his own sphere of influence. Um, I can remember um, going over to his place uh, and he had a little place that was kind of tucked back in the woods outside of Thurmont. And, and he had uh, a fairly sizable shed in his backyard and his vision was to create a place uh, where acoustic musicians could perform and an audience could come and listen to them and, and just really enjoy that without all the commercial aspects of the, the coffee houses and stuff that were all around Frederick. Uh, and I thought that that was a really nice vision. I think he only ever pulled off one. Uh, I'm not sure if he did any more than that, but uh, but it was great fun to to be around this person who always seemed to have a vivid imagination for things and a real vision for how things could be. Uh, and I think that uh, that he just really enjoyed being in the music. Uh, that really seemed to be a center for him. Um, that was a foundation of his life. It was just, uh, you know, so much revolved around music. Uh, it was amazing. A young lady who became Paul's constant companion the last year or so of his life. Good friend. Um, they spent lots of time together, Karen Fetters. She knew him 
a little bit more on a personal side than the rest of us did. And this is what she has to say about Paul. I first met Paul at Brewer's Alley one night. He was um, really into the music. He loved the music at Brewer's Alley and the food. So he didn't go every Monday night, but that's how I got to know him. And from there, we went to open mics and he branched out and joined fame and some other things. So what did you think of his musical choices, his style, the way he performed? Eccentric. Do you remember how much he loved that Major Tom to ground control? Yes. And he loved when he performed, he loved wearing those dark sunglasses and that bomber jacket and his nickname, Xavier. Yes. (laughs) Well, many of us being musicians, fellow musicians, knew him as as a fellow musician. And so our discussions with him would have been about music and songs and things like that. You knew him more so on a a personal level, also music-wise, because you came out to the open mics and things like that. But what was he like kind of as as just Paul Penwell? You know, just as Paul Penwell, he was still a musician. That's what he always wanted to do. So he spent most of his time listening to music or playing music. Um, He had wanted to pursue that in college, but his parents wanted him to go to college to become an engineer. So I believe he just went one year and then stopped. Um, But that was was his main focus. He um, built that or had that little building out back of his house. Did you ever see that? I did. The Outback Shack. Yes. Yes. And that was very, very important now, I found him to be an inquisitive individual. Absolutely. On everything. Um, that's, I guess that's where he did focus sometimes outside the music. He would, um, you know, he could look at a jar of apple butter and wonder how it was made. And he really, he read a lot. Now, was he a fiction reader or did he care one way or the other what he read? I think he read more educational type books because he was curious about Mm -hmm. everything. He was um, very into politics. He was. Yes, very into politics. Had extremely strong opinions about it. And one of his favorite TV shows was um, the Russian TV channel. Did he speak Russian? No, and I I used to ask him why he chose the Russian channel, and he said he trusted it more than our channels. Now, when he became ill, which surprised many of us, um, because many of us didn't find out until after he had passed on, Mm -hmm. or towards the very end, um, he seemed to, that seemed to be very private for him. He was very intent on keeping it private. I knew it, and he made me promise not to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Just, um, I never really totally understood why, but it was very important to him, so of course I honored that. But um, he was a private person. But a very generous one, especially towards the end. Yes, yes he was. He um, made very generous donations, as you know, to fame, um, to our local Humane Society, to hospice. And, and I, 
some others. Wonderful, wonderful man. Someone who I wish I had had the time to get to know better. Yes, he really did have a lot to offer. He was just reserved and quiet and very private. But when you got to know him, he was also very funny. He was. I think he is greatly missed. A regional songwriter and performer, Dave Weiner, used to perform at the Frederick Coffee Company and also at Brewer's Alley for the Songwriter Showcase and also at the Sunday Songwriters. And Paul Penwell loved one of Dave Weiner's songs. Paul called it the Pancake Song, and he referred to Dave as the Pancake Man. The song is actually Cairo and Cakes, and here is Dave Weiner performing the song in a little booth at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. case of the shakes I stumbled to the kitchen for a breakfast of sausage and cakes Now I sit here with my coffee and I wonder just what did it take for me to be alone another victim of love's bitter fate Oh, but my tears flow Yes, but they're so slow Dripping like a on the pancakes of my love. Oh, but my tears flow. Yes, but they're so slow. They're dripping like a on the pancakes of my love. Well, we met a year ago over breakfast on a holiday cruise, and now. For that love I thought I'd never lose As my thoughts they wander back To all the laughter and good times we share To all those moonlit walks And the quiet romance that we shared Ah, but my tears flow Yes, but they're so slow They're dripping like a rose on the pancakes of my love Oh, but my tears flow Yes, but they're so slow They're dripping like a road On the pancakes of my love Well, she met another guy on the shore At an all-night cafe Well, from there it was downhill And in the end, you know, he swept away now I sit here broken hearted like an egg All scrambled and gray Cause she left me at the buffet of love And there's no more to say Ah, but my tears flow Yes, but they're so slow They're dripping like Cairo On the pancakes of my love Oh, but my tears Yes, but they're so slow They're dripping like a row On the pancakes of my love On the pancakes of my love On the pancakes of my love
In my mind's eye, I can still see Paul Penwell smiling and tapping his foot and kind of grooving to that song whenever he would listen to Dave Weiner perform it. Paul loved listening to other people almost as much as he enjoyed performing himself. Well, Sam Ott is the current president of FAME, Frederick Acoustic Music Enterprise. And for those of you who don't know what fame is and you'd like to check it out, you can go to frederickacoustic.org, frederickacoustic.org, and you'll get to see the history and people who are involved and what the organization has to offer. But Sam, although as he says in his interview, he didn't know Paul in the beginning. He got to know him after Paul passed away. And here's what Sam has to say. Right before Rick Hill left as president of fame, um, Rick and I had been talking and, um, um, you know, he had been talking about Paul and the fact that he had conversations with Paul where Paul had said he was going to, he was leaving fame, a, a, an endowment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when all the funds came through, it was a very generous endowment. Um, and so, uh, which has helped fame along. And what we wanted to do was it was one of those things where it was thought about, well, do you put it in scholarships? What do you do with this money? Because from their standpoint, telling me, you know, it's like Paul would have wanted to help others. Uh, That's the kind of person he was. This was uh, what he would want to do. So, you know, we've batted around with it and we still have funds from this that we're going to keep, you know, that we're looking to use for our scholarship uh, to, to enhance our scholarship fund. And if, anybody goes in and checks out the fame uh, website, they'll be able to see the, the scholarship program we have. Uh, it's actually, we have two tiers. One's more of a grant for people that want to take lessons. And the other is for actual people that uh, are looking to enhance their, their, um, their skills by going to college or take, you know, taking uh, advanced uh, musical courses. So we have those two tiers and we put that together and but one of the biggest things we were looking at was at the time uh, the schools had approached Roy Green, who was a member of the board as well. And Roy, Roy was part of with Rick and then Rick kind of left. And then I took over the presidency and Roy came to me and we talked about, OK, we had started this talk with the schools about supplying the ukulele project uh, during the during the phase of the ukulele. And, putting ukuleles into the school system. And so we thought, well, this would be a good use of those funds. It's helping children. It's, it's, enhancing, it's enhancing the musical uh, uh, opportunities for kids that may never have another, might not have another opportunity. So um, <clears throat> we looked, looked at that and we did that first phase of the ukulele project where we put 432 ukuleles in the Frederick County school system. Um, and then they came to us and said, well, we were looking at a second phase. Would you be willing to do that? And so we were like, well, yes, I think, uh, we, we agreed that, uh, that would be enhanced. So what we did, we did another phase of 237. So for, we we put about $26,000 worth of ukulele, uh, uh, into the school system, 669 units. 
entirely due to Paul's endowment. And on that, we've created a sticker that is put on the ukulele and it's on the back of the ukulele. So every time the kids look at it, they will see, and I have a picture of it, but which doesn't work for a podcast, <laughs> but we put on there that it's the Paul Penwell Memorial Fund and then the Frederick Acoustic Music Enterprise logo. So the Paul Penwell Memorial Fund is surrounding the Frederick Acoustic Music. This was 100% provided from Paul's endowment to the organization. His, his legacy is enduring here. Uh, these, these ukuleles, I mean, they'll be in the school system for ages. I mean, who, you know, they'll, they'll be there for ages and, and on there is going to be this sticker and there's going to be acknowledgement of what this man did for a very long time. Paul Penwell was definitely a unique individual. He was witty. He had a gleam in his eye and an infectious laugh. He made people turn their smirks into smiles. I used to introduce him by saying he was returning from his latest world tour or from his latest concert at the Outback Shack. Well, now he's on his universe tour. And I and so many others will miss him. Here's the final cut from his demo cassette. The title is A Generation Starbound. human 
The Western Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me, at the Wispy Mob Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link. wispymobmusic.podbean.com or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.